The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. It's such a challenging uh, scene to come to terms with. And I think that uh, the first order of duty then is to say, we have to allow the transfiguration of Jesus to, to leave a mark, to have an impact, right? To, to, uh, we have to allow it to be uh, what it is simply as an event before we kind of come right at it full speed with understanding and application and moral lessons and, and the rest. As an event, it's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible scene. And I think you get some sense of that by the way the whole thing uh, say, twists and turns after uh, they see what has happened, right? You have Peter with this um, almost inexplicable utterance. It's good that we're here, right? And we hear after, like, he's, they were so terrified, right? I don't, I don't know that I've ever been so terrified that I've felt as though I had to say something or shout something. Or, I mean, I'm usually going to run in the opposite direction or, or not say a thing at all. But, but here he is, Peter, and this is what we love about St. Peter, right? Right at the right at the head of, of God's people. Yeah, he's, he's, ready to, he's ready to make answer even when there's not a question. It's like, well, it's good that we're here. Let's build some tents for you guys. You know, like, I'm not sure that Moses and Elijah need tents. But, um, and he's, of course, trying to hook this into a traditional Jewish feast, which, of course, is missing the point. Okay, And, and so that, that kind of comic relief part, right? We have this, this, this scene that we think, okay, this is holy ground, right? We're going to remove our shoes. Don't remove your shoes, but this is holy ground. We're going to, we're going to take our shoes off here. You know, we, we recognize where we got to tread delicately and the rest. And then here's Peter with this kind of comic, you know, um, uh, utterance. And we go, well, okay, we're all disoriented. And then by the end of the scene, we see Jesus saying, don't say anything until the Son of Man's risen from the dead, right? Don't say anything, basically, until I've risen from the dead. And they all go, we don't, if, if that's what you're going to say, we don't understand what rising from the dead means, because in our concept, rising from the dead happens at the end of the age, and we'll all do it together. So at that point, what does it mean that we will be telling anybody this story? It's, right? it's clear that Jesus has his own resurrection in mind, which is terribly significant because, of course, that's the orientation of the entirety of our Lenten season is the resurrection of Jesus and our participation in his death and resurrection. He's got it in mind. They have no idea what's going on. So it's, it's a glorious scene, and it's, kinda, and it's filled with these kind of very... Um, mundane appreciation of it. Okay, so I've already gone too far. What I wanted to start with, what I should have started with, I get carried away. Read the gospel, I just get carried away. Okay, so what I wanted to start, yeah, it's true. What I wanted to start with is this. Usually I, usually I do this, right, like 
at the end. I'll say, okay, if you didn't get anything, then just listen to this part. So I'm going to do that at the beginning. So, you know, if you kind of fall in and out of consciousness, as, as happens during my preaching, then at least you'll have this one little part that you can hold on to as you, as you make your way through this particular uh, uh, discipline of Lent, uh, listening to Father Daniel's preaching. Okay, this is the, the voice from the cloud, okay, the voice from the cloud, and there's a lot that goes into it. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Okay, so that's going to be the exhortation, right? I'm going to come back around to that and say, listen to Jesus. This is the whole of Christian life, is listening to Jesus. In the way that we saw, you know, from the, from the first reading on down, it's about obedience. Okay, so it's not simply about listening for the sake of amusement or listening for the sake of entertainment, which is the way that we are trained today. It's listening for the sake of obedience. We want to trust and follow Jesus. And he's speaking to us. Yeah, he's spe and if he's not speaking to you, then we have some work to do, right? We can do that work probably in spiritual direction. But he is speaking to you. And now he speaks the word of charity, right? So he speaks, the, he speaks his own life of love into you so that you can be transformed by his love. You can be transformed by his, his mercy. In fact, we get, we get a lot of that in this scene as well. You know, I, I'm going to focus on listen to him. We want, we, if we're doing anything during this Lenten season, it should be training ourselves to listen to Jesus. Again, to trust him and follow him, to trust him and obey him. But the, but the part that comes before that is equally important. This is my beloved son. Or, you know, another translation, this is my son in whom I delight. Yeah, we know, we know what that love looks like. I pray, you know, we've all had some experience of that love. Love that delights in the other, goes beyond itself, delights in the other. Right, this is my beloved son. And so we, what we have here in this really epiphany scene, this revelation scene, is the opening of the heart of God so that we can see his love, father to son, and then son to father in obedience Right, then it's ours to be caught up into that relationship as well. And we, and we ought to remember, yeah, okay, it's, it's not simply, this is not simply the place where we remove our shoes, we, we walk very, very carefully. You know, this is reverence in the extreme. This is a matter of love. This whole thing, the whole story is a matter of love. The great love story that God is writing, both here in the scriptures, of course, in and through the sacraments, but also in our own lives of prayer and of love. So, Okay, this is, say, the, the starting of the scene, our, our kind of appreciation for it. You know, we see Jesus transfigured, right? He's glowing. His clothes are like bright as, bright as white, right? Or bright as light. And, uh, and, and what, does, what does that mean for us as well? It means that we ought to be drawn to him. You know, it's not as though we have in, this, in the scripture, we have Moses and Elijah. We've got um, two prophets of, of uh, great renown and great accomplishment, both of them completing their own fasts of, of 40 days, right? We've, we've, got a lot, we've got a lot there to look at. But you look at, say, Moses, he's 40 days on the mountain, he's bringing down the tablets of the law, right? He's, he then is prepared to receive instruction from God. When we see Jesus transfigured on the mountain, he's not giving teaching per se, right? God is giving us Jesus in person. So he's drawing us into, again, that personal relationship. Anyway, this is, this is just the first, I don't know, the kind of first step uh, along the way to appreciating, I think, um, the transfiguration before you get to, say, understanding and the like. But what I want to do is focus just, I want to focus a little bit on the characters of Moses and Elijah, then look at, at Jesus and then our, our Lenten season practices and, and the rest, and then we'll, we'll finish there. 
Moses and, uh, Moses and Elijah, right? Bo- Moses and Elijah are sent to God's people at a time that they're in drastic need of purification. Okay, so Moses is on the scene when the people are enslaved in Egypt. Because they need to be, they need liberation. I say purification, they need liberation. It's actually very, they're very closely tied concepts. Israel needs liberation at the time of Moses. They're not only enslaved by Pharaoh, they're also taking on the practices of the people who are enslaving them. And this is more significant than their simple, say, corporal slavery, is the fact that they're giving their hearts to foreign gods. The same thing with Elijah. We remember Elijah's on the scene in order to purify the, uh, Israel from the scourge of idolatry that's given to, their praise is given to um, Baal, right? They're turning their lives over to this foreign god in order that they might have sustenance, right? The, the god of the fields, he's the god of produce and the god of fertility, right? They get, every, they get everything they want by worshiping this particular god. And I, Elijah is on the scene to show that this god is completely powerless, and that the, that the God of Israel is the God of life. And, that they, and then the people, after seeing the, the display of Elijah, the power of God, they come back to God. They want God alone. They want to praise him. They want to worship him with everything they've got. So the, the whole thing is kind of pulled back online as a result of the work of Elijah. So the purification from idolatry also is not just a, a, you know, a, something that's kind of lurking beneath the surface here in the gospel passage. It's also the, one of the main thrusts of our Lenten season. We, we also want to be purged of idolatry. Yeah, so, okay, idolatry. The, the idols, idolon in the Greek, and latria. Latria in the Greek is worship, and it's, a, it's worship that is due God alone. When we worship something or someone other than God, we're doing idol worship. We're giving Worship that is due to God alone to some other thing. Another way to look at it is to say, you know, what is the very center of our life? Or what, what, do, what does our, better yet, I think, what does our life center on? Okay, so like what is the one immovable object in the, in the construction of your day-to-day schedule? Is it God and his purposes, right? So I start out with God as I'm giving myself to you, God, whole and entire, and now you build out my day as you see fit. And of course, we don't get to do this day on day because we have commitments that, you know, make those determinations for us. But when we, whenever we have a chance to ask the question, are we asking the question? Are we saying, no, my, actually, my life centers on some other thing or some other pursuit because that is the thing that gives my life value or meaning. That's the centerpiece of my identity and my life's purpose. When you look, now this, it, it cuts, it can cut very deep, and I'll allow it to, allow the first reading to do its work. Now you have the story of Abraham with his son Isaac, right? And it's, he's taking him off to kill him. That's where we pick up the scene. But the reality is that uh, I, Abraham has made his son the center of his life's, um, under, say, understanding of meaning, right? He is the centerpiece of his life. So he, he is performing acts of idolatry there with his son. Okay, so when I say, usually we're going to go talk about idols, we're going to talk about money, power, pleasure. It's the things we need to get us where we need to be, right? But also here, it, it also includes relationships that are, say, out of whack in, in very significant ways, right? Isaac is the center of his life. No, God has to be 
the center of his life, which is why he calls him to that act of obedience to make sure that his priorities are in order. Now, he doesn't have him kill his son, right? We could all kind of breathe a sigh of relief when it doesn't happen, right? But God himself is going to give his son, and that's, of course, part of the story as well. Okay, so here, what, what are we doing here in Lent? If, if cleansing from idolatry is part of our Lenten course, then what are we doing? Well, we are committing ourselves to acts of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, all with the idea that through those disciplines, we are uprooting idols and we are instead planting God as the very center of our hearts and lives, right? Or he, you know, he's the one who's doing the work. We're cooperating with him in order to achieve that purification by which we are freed from every slavery we know to worship God freely and in truth. I want to praise him, want to love him, adore him, or even delight in him in response to his delight-filled love, want to delight in him and praise him and then be able to pour ourselves out in his service, to, to serve his purpose in the world and not simply go after what it is we would otherwise choose for ourselves. Right? So here we are, we're going, we are, we are uh, committed ourselves to acts of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. We are with Peter and James and John being led up a high mountain apart by ourselves. Right, so this is how I want to see it. Every, every act, right, every commitment, every time we turn to the Lord in any one of our Lenten disciplines, we want to be taking a step up the mountain with Jesus. We're going with Him. That, that's probably the main part of our Lenten journey. We're going with Him. And we're putting in real effort. Right? It's a, they go up a high mountain apart by themselves. You know, I used to think when I was a child, like going up the Torn was like going up a high mountain. You know, it's like if you gave me the option of going up a high mountain or hiking the Torn, I'm going to take the Torn most of the time. You know, I'm going to, it's a bit of an easier climb. But it's still, it's still a, a point of exertion. It's still a going beyond ourselves. It's still the training of our, of our sight, our hearts, our minds on Jesus. So in every one of those practical disciplines, right, in every one of those penances that we've taken on, we want that to be a step with Jesus this Lenten season and a step that uproots idolatry, right? Because every step we take, every step we take with Jesus and towards him is a step that we're not taking to the side or behind as it relates to our worship of some alien God or our pursuit of some, you know, our, our vain pursuits, right? We think that something or someone else is going to get us where we want to be, right? We want safety, we want security, we want comfort, we want pleasure, okay? We, we think that some other God is going to get us where we, be, where we want to be. No, we're going to train our every step, our every action on Christ Jesus and following Him in worship of the true and living God. So we're being led up, again, the mountain, that high mountain apart by ourselves. When we do this, right, when we commit ourselves to, to honor God in these practical ways, when we're looking to dedicate Him through, the, through our day-to-day -day activities, we're going to find that Jesus wants to reveal Himself. Okay, many of, us, many of us live a life where we, okay, we're going with you, Jesus, and we're quite content with that still small voice in our hearts. We're content with this exchange of hearts that fills us with love and gives us strength to carry on in the way of great and costly love. Um, but we, we sometimes question, sometimes think, I'm not sure where he is, right? Is, is Jesus really on the scene? And what we encounter today in the transfiguration is a God who wants to be seen. Jesus wants to be seen. 
And so our penances not only line us up to be able to receive, right? We're, we're training, we're, we're focusing our hearts on Jesus so that we can receive him, we can see him, but also as we go, right? So as we take those steps, we're more inclined to be able to see Jesus where he is because he is on the scene and he is directing us and he is giving us nourishment and sustenance, the nourishment and sustenance that we need to follow him. So yeah, we're, we're, headed, we're headed our way. We're, we're doing the challenging things. We're taking on the Lenten disciplines and challenges and the rest. We're, we're being trained in, in both spiritual and physical ways to, uh, to see Jesus, to trust him, to follow him. And we are making our way with him this season as he, as he does that work of having our lives center on the true and living God the God who is an eternal exchange of glorifying love so that, our, so that our lives can be reception of that glorifying love of God and can, and can return love for love, right? This is the scene. Again, you, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is, what the, again, what the Lenten uh, season is all about. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The good news is you don't need anybody to mediate your relationship with Jesus. Okay? We have great supports in the company of the saints. We have friendship among, among its, uh, amongst ourselves, the fraternity that we have. We're praying for each other. The company of saints, it, we, are, we are caught up in, in their intentions as well. But here, we do, not, we do not need to have anyone mediate our relationship with Jesus. It's ours to receive him as he speaks his word again anew into our hearts Right? And as he draws us to go his way, he's giving us every good gift we need that we might trust and follow him.